Exodus chapter 15 and verse 1. It says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Amen. The beginning of this chapter, or really at the end of chapter 14 leading into chapter 15, Moses together with the people of Israel have just watched the Egyptian army against whom the people of Israel stood absolutely no chance. But he has just watched them miraculously disappear beneath the waves of the Red Sea. We know that the Lord told them to stand still, to see the salvation of their God, and that that enemy they would see today, they would never see again. And God gave them deliverance in what was an impossible situation, a situation where no man-made battle plan or strategy could have given them an escape, but God miraculously opened a red, the, red, the waters of the Red Sea, and that which provided escape for God's people also brought judgment upon the Egyptian army. And Moses, you know, we've read that story a lot of times, but Moses, when he saw that with his own eyes, it must have been amazing to see, to be there and see it for yourself. But as a response to what Moses has just seen, the Bible says that Moses begins to lead the people in a song of victory, in a song of rejoicing. And as far as I can find out in the first song ever recorded in the Scripture. And I think if you look at it, you'll find that all of chapter 15 is a song. It is that song of victory and rejoicing in the mighty hand of God and His deliverance. And I want to also take you to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 5. We won't look at too much Scripture tonight and I don't believe I'll be too long. But if the Lord moves, you'll have to take that up with Him. But Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and one verse. Verse 5 says this, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. And I want to preach tonight about the song of fools. Hallelujah. Let's pray one more time. Father, in the name of Jesus. God, we feel your presence. We feel your anointing, Lord God. And God, it does not matter how eloquent we may or may not be. It does not matter how smart we are or we are not. But God, it is your anointing that breaks the yoke, Lord God. It is still your power and your spirit that makes the impossible possible. And tonight, God, we commit this service into your hands, Lord, and ask you to be glorified in our midst and to have your way in this place, Lord God, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hallelujah. Music, and in particularly songs, and to clarify what I mean by that, words that have been put to a musical tune, music can be instrumental, but a song is usually understood to be either a poem or some sort of arrangement of words that are put to music. Music and songs are some of the most powerful things 
that there is in this world. It has been said that music is the only thing that is both in heaven and in earth, and because of that it has the power to connect the two. And we relate to this in that when we practice heartfelt worship as we gather together, like we have tonight, we enter into the presence of God Himself when we lose ourselves and our self-consciousness and we allow the Spirit of the Lord to move on us. I saw these on the floor after Sister Emma's song led tonight, in case you can't see. That's a couple of hairpins. That's an apostolic service when the hairpins fall out. Amen. And when we enter into the presence of God, we experience a taste, just a small taste, but a taste nonetheless of what it will be like on that day around His throne when we get there. Like the old song says, what a day that will be when my Jesus I will seek just to look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace. What a day that will be. What a choir it will be in heaven. doesn't matter what language you come in with. Somehow we're going to be able to sing together. Somehow those of us that can't carry a tune in a bag are going to find our place in that choir and be able to participate in the exalting and the magnifying and the glorifying of the King of Kings. I don't know what's on that playlist, but it's going to be a song like no other song. When we get to hit to that place, we're going to sing it like nobody else can sing it. Hallelujah. And while there are always exceptions to the rule, and I'm certainly not an expert, songs are often written in reaction or a response to a feeling, to an experience, to an observation, sometimes to an event. Most songs are a product of something that somebody has seen or heard or gone through or something they feel passionately about. Now it is also accurate to say that there are some forms of popular music that are produced purely at a commercial level trying to, be make, to make money, to be profitable. In the late 80s and early 90s there, there was a production company out of the UK that simply had a bunch of songwriters working in offices producing catchy shallow songs that they would find young people that were reasonably good looking with a half decent voice to sing people that were actors in soap operas and such like became pop sensations and it was it was really a music factory it, the, the goal and the, the motive was profit but in the purest sense many if not most songs are some kind of a reaction or a response the love songs that are sung usually about somebody or by somebody who is in love and singing about how that love for the other person makes them feel. And then there's the love songs on the other side of the street about how their heart is broken and how they'll never be able to overcome the pain and the suffering and the agony that they're in. Why is it that people who go through a relationship breakup choose the sad, depressing songs to listen to? Some kind of weird therapy. That when we're brokenhearted, we choose the songs about poor, lonesome me. Do not understand that. There are songs that are written as a response or a protest to war and conflict. The 60s and 70s, particularly in the time of the peace movement and during the time of the Vietnam conflict, there were songs that sang about things like give peace a chance 
and all we need is love. And people who were opposed to war identified with these songs and they became the anthem of a generation as they wanted somehow to avoid the conflict and that of itself is not necessarily wrong. There are other songwriters that have written about their experiences in war. People that have gone through war and perhaps trying to quantify how they feel they've written about the dark days of the battlefield and the wars that they've experienced. There are, there are songs that are written from a platform of angst or anger towards society, toward government, towards conformity of this I won't be what you want me to be kind of philosophy. There are other songs that are written from the depths of despair and hopelessness, sometimes as a product of suffering loss. And as a, as a Christian musician that I've listened to for probably more than 20 years and in his private or personal life, he and his wife went through a tragedy where they lost a little girl, a little daughter that was killed in an accident. And, and his music that came out in the period immediately following that accident had such a sadness and a heaviness to it that if I'm honest, I didn't really want to listen to those albums because you could feel his grief. His song was written in response to his experience. Some songs, and I'm not going to touch every genre tonight because we'd be here forever, but some songs are written expressing the struggle of one generation to understand another. Forgive the worldly references, but some of you are old enough to remember when Cat Stevens sang about the cat being in the cradle and the struggle between one generation and another. And in, the, in my youth, in my adolescence, there was another song called The Living Years that very much spoke about a man's desire to be able to talk to his father who had passed away. It's also well documented that there are some very famous musicians that write songs under the influences of illicit drugs. And they produce songs that their fans adore, but nobody can tell you what they mean. Because these people were experiencing all manner of hallucinations. There are many very well-known bands and musicians that we could use as examples for that. There's even pieces of history that have been made into songs. I don't know why, but Brother Glass had this thing for a song called The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, which was about this boat that sank on Lake Superior up there in North America somewhere. Maybe it was the story. I don't know, but I remember him even mentioning it in his preaching. That's why I remember it. The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. It was a, it was a historical account put to music. It obviously impacted him. But songs are so often responses, reactions, Expressions of love, of hate, grief, of anger and of frustration. Even in scripture, much if not all of the songs we read about are written as responses to circumstances. We read about Moses in chapter 15, the first song that's recorded in the word of God. They're rejoicing in the incredible deliverance that God has just given them. David's psalms and even some of the psalms that he didn't write they're almost like a commentary on what was going on in David's life. There's times where he, he said, God, you're awesome and you're my strength and my shield and my deliverer and my fortress. And then there are other times where he said, God, where are you? I'm all alone and I can't find where you are, God. And then there were times when he sinned and he said, cleanse my heart, O God. And nearly, nearly every psalm that he wrote was a response or a reaction to what was happening in his life 
at that point. And we sing some of David's songs because to a certain degree we can relate to them because of our relationship with the Lord, but we can't relate like David did because they are his songs. They came out of his heart. They came out of his spirit. They came out of his life. And in the world, often you read or hear of somebody doing what we refer to as covering another person's song. In other words, they take a song, maybe an old song that somebody else wrote, that somebody else recorded it, and because they've got a good voice, they sing that song as if it was their own. And sometimes the people that cover the songs end up more famous than the people that wrote the original song because maybe they did a better version, maybe their voice was nicer. But the reality is it's not their song. They sang it, but it's not their song. It's not come from their experience. It's not come from their memories or from their heartbreak or from their emotion. They've simply sung it because, hey, I like this song and I think I could do a good job of it. And there may be a place for that, but you can't claim it as your song because it's not your experience. Sister Janice Joestrand, she and her husband have ministered here some years ago. She wrote a song that's become well-known in the Apostolic Church and beyond about the alabaster box. And uh, nobody sings that song like Sister Joestrand does. There have been other singers that sing it with more talent, better technical skills, voices that are breathtaking. When they sing, they just hold you in the palm of their hand, as it were. But for Sister Joestrand, that song comes from a place in her own life where there was heartache, where there was suffering, where there were things she went through in her childhood that people should not have to go through. And the love of God was revealed to her and God wrapped his arms around her. And so when she took pen and and sat at a piano possibly and put that tune and those lyrics together, it was born out of her life. It was an expression of who she was. And there are plenty of people that have sung it and done a great job, but nobody sings that song like Sister Janice Joestrand does, simply because it's her song. And the same tonight applies to you and me. Nobody can sing your song like you can. Nobody can sing the song of your life the way that you can sing it. And if you'll allow me to just use a bit of creativity tonight, we are all writing our own song. Every experience, every reaction, every emotion is a lyric, it's a verse, it's a stanza, it's a bridge, whatever technology, terminology you want to use, everything we have, we are not physically, but at least emotionally and spiritually penning the words of our own song. We are writing the song that will tell the story of our experiences The problem is that when you write a song and you're not where you ought to be with the Lord, when you're in sin, if you've never been saved from your sin, those lyrics speak of things like heartache and emptiness. They speak of reactions of our hearts and bitterness and and not understanding, possibly even shaking our fist at God and saying, how can you allow this to happen in my life? If you really are a God of love, why have I had to go through this? And we write the words and they, they have so much passion and so much feeling because we are expressing who we are. But the thing is, with every line that we write, the devil comes along and he says, I know a nice tune that would go with that song. 
I know, I know, I smell it. It's catchy. We can put your experience together with my music and we can produce an album together, if you'll allow me to use that analogy. So what tends to happen is without even realizing it, we produce the song of our own lives with Satan leading the orchestra and playing the tunes. And the reality is until we walk with God, until we surrender ourselves to God, every single one of us sings the song of fools. Every single one of us sings the song of fools. Now when the Bible, the Bible uses the word fool, a little bit like we explained this morning, it's not a reference to people who are of below average intelligence. But the word fool has to do with people that make decisions that are foolish, with people who make choices that are void of any wisdom, that are void of any godliness and any sense and rationality in the sight of God. They, they live in a fashion which completely removes God and His guidance and His wisdom. It's not that they're stupid, but it is that they are void of any... They do not involve God in their lives. The 14th Psalm David said, and I think it's repeated in another psalm somewhere else, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. This verse does not imply that only intelligent people believe in God. That's not the message the psalmist is giving us, but rather when we choose to deny the existence of God, when we make a decision that God does not exist, that we somehow came into existence by some cosmic accident and there is no creator, there is no designer, it is the ultimate demonstration of an absence of wisdom. And that's what makes us fools. Not our intelligence or lack thereof, but our removal of God from the picture is the most foolish thing that any human being can do. And even if we believed in the existence of God but chose to continue in sin, we're still singing the song of fools. We're writing lyrics that promote sin, that the devil gives us melodies for, and that sing ourselves further and further away from God. There is a story, I believe it comes out of the 13th century, somewhere around that time in history. Many of us have heard it when we were children. It's the story of the Pied Piper of Hamelin. A city in Germany, I believe it was, that the, the story goes that they had a plague of rats that they were unable to do anything about and that one day a man dressed in fancy clothes and with a fancy flute came to town and he told them that if they would pay him that he could get rid of their rat problem and they said, okay, let's see, let's, you know, basically you do it first and then we'll pay. And so somehow with his ability on this instrument, he began to play a tune and all of the rats in the city followed him out of town. And he led them, I think it was into a lake maybe, and, and all the rats drowned. But when he came back to the city, the people didn't have a rat problem anymore and decided not to pay the Pied Piper. And because of their reluctance to keep their part of the bargain, whether it was the same tune or another tune, the legend goes that he played that pipe again and all of the children in that village followed him out into the countryside and were never seen again. Not a particularly happy story. 
But that's kind of how it works in the world. The devil plays the tune. We write the song and we follow him to our own execution. We follow him to a life void of God and godliness. You see, that's where the expression comes from that you have to pay the piper. It means that you will pay for your choices. At some point, the piper must be paid. At some point, you are accountable. And if we are foolish, we will continue to allow the devil to put our song to music. And as it tells us in Romans chapter 1, we will be like those that profess themselves to be wise, but yet they became fools. Hallelujah. Sometimes when a musician has been around for a while, they get stuck in a rut. They struggle with creativity. So to try to do something new, to try to take their talent in a different direction, and you see this happen, and they, they say that so-and-so reinvented themselves. They took their ability and their skill and, and tried a different approach, tried a different genre, tried a different style. They, they were trying to reinvent themselves. But God doesn't reinvent. God recreates. There is a difference between the two. God doesn't want to just give us a makeover. But when we come to Him and we've been singing the song of fools, if we will hear His word, if we will allow the preaching of God's word to settle down into our spirits and into our hearts, we can react to that, we can respond to that, and we can take, as it were, our pen and begin to write the lyrics of a new song. We can put away that old song of heartache and misery and begin to write a song that speaks about forgiveness, speaks about restoration, it speaks about hope and joy and overcoming. David said, he brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock. He established my goings, and he has put a new song in my mouth. And every praise unto our God, many shall see it, and they shall trust in the Lord. God wants somebody tonight to sing a new song. God wants somebody to stop singing the song of fools and to sing a new song to write some new lyrics, lyrics that talk about victory, lyrics that talk about forgiveness. Hallelujah. We don't have to listen to the Pied Piper. We don't have to dance to the devil's tune. He wants us to be defeated. He wants to steal our joy. He wants to stop us singing in victory. You know, he still tries to sell us songs even once we're born again. He has a few favorites he tries to tell at the door of the church. There's some classic songs he wrote. Go, one of them goes a bit like this. You, you've sinned so many times, you're hopeless, you'll never be a success. Let's get another song that says, you've, you've let God down, you're too bad, and you'll never be any better. He's got another one he likes to play that says, you're spiritually dead, there's no hope for you. But Jesus has an album as well. He has some hits that say things like, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Though I fall, rejoice not against me, O my enemy. I shall arise when I sit in darkness. The Lord shall be my light. When the devil tells you you're dead, Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Hallelujah. 
Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. The 137th Psalm writes about a time when Israel was in captivity and says that their captors wanted them to sing a song that they might basically make fun of them. They said they required of us sing one of the songs of Zion that we might have mirth. But they were a long, long way from Zion. They were a long, long way from the people that God had made them to be from the deliverance and the victories that God had given. They were a long, long way, not just physically, but spiritually, they were a long way. And the Bible says they sat down and they wept when they remembered Zion. They hanged their harps upon the willows and they said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Now, sometimes the devil gets in our ear and for one reason or another, we, we, we get off course. We allow the devil to get into our heads and we, we, we walk away and begin to listen to that same song that he used to play to us before. And it seems hopeless. It doesn't seem like there's any good can come out of it. It's like those people in captivity. We can't sing those songs anymore. We don't belong there anymore. We're not his promised people anymore. But you know something? God never forgot Israel. Even when they're in captivity... If the devil's lying to you tonight and telling you it's too long and too far, he's a liar. Because the Psalms also tell us in the 126th Psalm, the writer said, when the Lord turned again, how captivity of Zion. We were like them that dream. It was hard to believe it was possible. It was like a dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. And they said among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. Hallelujah. Tonight I want somebody to sing a new song. If I could have my musicians, please. Hallelujah. I don't want to sing the song of fools. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bible makes it very, very clear that there are only two choices in eternity. You can sing as much as you want in this life. You can sing whatever song you choose. But let me tell you something. When you go to hell, there's no songs in hell. There's no singing in the lake of fire. There's only three sounds that I can find in the Word of God that we hear about from the pit. They're weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. They're sounds of grief and agony, and regret, and torment. There's no singing there. It's suffering. I was at a funeral a few years ago, and about halfway through the funeral service, one of the family members that was there, whose mother had passed away, that's whose funeral it was, was sitting there, and the funeral service was going along just okay. Everybody was doing their thing, and nice and scheduled. But then right in the middle of this service, this woman whose mother was in the coffin began to wail, began to grieve in such a loud and a public fashion, and the whole thing changed, overcome with their loss and with their suffering and how much that person meant to them. I want you to understand if you are foolish enough tonight to sing the song of fools, 
and to go to hell. You will not hear the wails of other people. You will hear your own wailing and your own mourning and the gnashing of your own teeth as you mourn your own soul. Hallelujah. But in the book of Revelation it says, 5 and 9, and they sung a new song. Thou art worthy to open the seals. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us out of every kindred, every tongue, every people, and every nation. Hallelujah. If I choose the right song today, I'll be able to sing that song. I want to be there on that day. I want to be there. I want to look around. I don't know if there's, how it's going to work, but I'll be looking for my brothers and sisters from Northside. I want to meet the Apostle Paul. That's going to be cool. David and Jeremiah and all these other prophets. When I get to heaven, the first people I'm looking for are the people I'm looking at tonight. They're the first people I'm looking for. We're going to say, come on, let's sing this together. Let's sing the new song. You're worthy. Your blood, you redeemed us. Every nation, every kindred, every tribe. Stand with me if you would tonight. Hallelujah, I want to sing a new song. I don't want to sing the song of fools. But I want God to take my life every day and write His lyrics and write His word. The psalmist said, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? by giving heed thereto according to thy word. Get the word of God in your heart that you might not sin against him. Let him write your song. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. Every bad song he has, the Lord has a good one for. Hallelujah, let's sing it. Hallelujah, Jesus.